This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, coming to you on a Monday morning, getting some fresh recap action in from the UFC on Fox event in Tampa, Florida on Saturday with my man, Patrick Sviklinski. I butchered your name. It's one of those Monday morning things. I apologize. But I would also like to say I made up two fights on the weekend. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good because I'm still in the lead, (laughs) which is the most important thing. So, uh, you know, take those two wins and enjoy those. We'll we'll get back to it. (laughs) I am definitely going to take those two wins and enjoy them. And they are very important to me because it's been a long time. I can't even remember the last time I was in the lead, and that's really, really sad. So I'm hoping that changes this weekend when we get to UFC 197 in Las Vegas. I will be heading out tomorrow to cover that show, so stay tuned to Keyboard Kimura and the province and province sports for all of that. But today we want to talk about what happened over the weekend. UFC on Fox 19 in Tampa, Florida, as I mentioned, the Amelie Arena, headlined by Glover Teixeira, getting a beautiful first-round TKO, KO victory over Sugar Rashad Evans, a former late heavyweight champion. We're going to jump right into it. I don't think the performance itself or the result itself, I should say, was anything that surprised anyone. You and I both picked Teixeira. Most people did. Rashad has appeared to be on the downside of his career a little bit. But more interesting to me is, is sort of Glover Teixeira's comments after the fact in the cage with Joe Rogan. He says, you know what? Like, We've got this stuff going on this weekend. DC's hurt. John's fighting Ovince. Interim title. So that fight's pushed back. There's a dude named Anthony Johnson here who's supposed to be waiting around. But let's make let's do some business. Let's make some money. What do you say? And they cut to AJ, and AJ's kind of got that permanent AJ smile on his face. Dana White says after the fact that, you know, I really like that fight. That kind of feels like it makes sense. So my starting question to you is... Do you like that fight? And doesn't it just make perfect sense? Oh, man, I was just shaking with absolute (laughs) excitement when uh, I heard Glover call out Rumble. It's one of those fights that, you know, for fans of the sport, seeing those two guys get into the octagon and just lay violence to each other is something that is very, very appealing for, for mainstream fans, for MMA fans, you know, hardcore MMA fans. It's a fight that right now, I think it just worked out you know, with the timing, like like Glover was saying, you got the whole John Jones over St. Peru thing, the fight with DC's pushback. The timing makes sense on this fight um, in terms of keeping Anthony Johnson kind of active, not having him on the shelf um, for a while until, you know, DC and John Jones end up fighting potentially or DC and Ovin St. Peru, question mark. We don't, we don't know. <laughs> um, so uh, whatever that next fight is, you don't want Anthony Johnson, I don't think, sitting there for a long period of time being an inactive fighter. I think for him, uh, he's been really good when he's kind of had that 
steady stream of fight, um, you know, fighting going on lately. And a fight with Glover Teixeira, oh man, does that does that really appeal to me? And I think to a whole whole bunch of people, it's a fight that you know, two of the hardest hitters in the two hundred and five pound division. Um, it's it's just a fight that. It's it's so it's one uh, of those fights na- that you hear it <laughs> yeah. and you literally just start giggling and smiling oh, because it's great. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. There's a little bit of it to me too that like when Glover suggested it and it clicks in your head of like yeah that does make sense. There was a little bit of it to me that felt like it's kind of karma too. I mean I feel like and we talked about it back in January. Ryan Bader had done enough to probably merit a title shot, but the return of John Jones pushed him back, pushed him into a fight with Rumble Johnson where he gets deaded as expected. And so now it's sort of like almost turnabout is fair play. Things have happened with Jones and DC that that's been pushed back. It's a very good chance that they, as much as DC does not want to wait, and I talked to him last week for a piece that's in the province today and online at provincesports.com, as much as he doesn't want to wait, as much as he wants to get healthy and ideally fight at the end of the summer, very strong likelihood that the UFC says, sorry, Daniel, we're saving this for November at Madison Square Garden because John is from upstate New York and this is a huge fight, so let's blow it out in the Mecca. So to me, it just makes sense to not have Anthony Johnson, as you said, sit around. That fight with Ryan Bader was in January. So my sort of follow-up into this is, do you try to get this fight on the books kind of as quickly as possible so that maybe the winner can be, or, or sort of in line, so that the winner can maybe be available should another injury push back another Jones-Cormier fight? Or do you give them time to breathe and kind of keep them in line and, and maybe book them on that same card as Jones and Cormier? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a greedy guy, so I want to see <laughs> this fight as soon as possible. Uh, I think it would make sense to see this fight around that uh, 199, 200, um, time, you know, if you could add it to that, to that, um, you know, event, uh, for 199 in LA or to that, you know, mega, uh, 200 card, it would fit on either. And I think it fits well also because, you know, Glover basically, you know, did just a, you know, um, a couple minutes of work that night and didn't really, didn't really take any damage. Um, so he, He's probably ready to go. He barely broke a sweat. So he, um, I think he'll be ready to go as soon as possible for a quick turnaround. Um, Anthony Johnson, he fought in January. I think he'll be ready to fight as well. So why not make this thing, like you said, I mean, sooner, sooner the better. I think 199 or 200 makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned greedy. You mentioned greedy. I want to <laughs> add it to Ottawa. I think that would be a hell of a co-main event. It probably yeah. isn't going to happen because it was would maybe overshadow the main event. But you know, already sold out ten thousand tickets TD Place in Ottawa. Maybe throw one more blockbuster on there. Don't really need it. it. It's already a very good card. But I also think the possibility is there that this fight becomes a strong co-main event for something like UFC 201 or UFC 202, where Dana White has sort of hinted at Robbie Lawler returning to defend his title against Tyron Woodley. We will talk about that fight somewhere else down the line, but I agree with you. Somewhere in that sort of June, July, August range, so that they can then maybe even prep and be ready for November, December, when we expect John Jones and Daniel Cormier to renew acquaintances again, finally. Uh, just Just seems like the right way to go. 
the other big takeaway from this fight, and, and maybe the bigger talking point um, from the main event on Saturday on Fox, is Rashad Evans, a former champion, as we said, a guy that I think we both agree is a is a first ballot Hall of Famer, whatever that means in the UFC, where you know who gets inducted is arbitrary. Um, but this is two straight losses, and this is a sub-two-minute knockout loss where he just didn't look any kind of competitive. He looked a little gun-shy. I mean, Rashad has always been a counterfighter, but this he, he didn't even seem to have the speed to counter some of those shots anymore. And some of that is to be expected. I mean, he's getting up there in age. It's been, you know, he missed two years with various injuries. I never like being the guy that says, hey, fighter X, you should retire. And so I will pose it as, should, do you think he should keep fighting? Is there more for him? And if so, how do you go about booking a guy that, you know, has just been in these important fights for the last five, six, seven, eight years of his career now that he's clearly on the downside of things? Yeah, it's a difficult thing. And I mean, that that fight was definitely uh, tough to watch, seeing a, an absolute, you know, legend like, Rashad Evans get in there and get, you know, handled the way he did. Um, it's a tough fight. And I, I, you know, he felt bad after the fight. There's no shame in that. I mean, Glover to share is a very, very, very tough dude, a very strong dude. So, um, you know, it, it, there's no, no shame absolutely in, in losing to a guy like that. And, um, you know, this, th- it was difficult because, you know, this is his first knockout loss since that Leota Machida fight back in May, 2000 at UFC uh, 98 so it's been a while since we've seen Rashad in that kind of situation and and you know this one was probably a lot more devastating it, it was a very nasty finish uh Rashad you know kind of like went out cold and, and it looked pretty brutal you know he had to be saved by the ref there um it, it just all kind of hurt to watch a bit but I think from you know I don't I don't think that he's necessarily you know kind of done with the with the UFC done with fighting you know it, it's a tough it, it was a tough fight to go into especially when you're training for a guy like Shogun then you go to a guy like Glover um, quite a different fighter I think and for Rashad to sort of say that he wanted to stay in the fight and face Glover who was kind of always in that you know upper echelon of the light heavyweight division mix there um, that says a lot to me about Rashad Evans that he still wanted to compete, that he still wanted to fight the very best that he could. So with that in mind, I, I don't necessarily think this is the last we see of Rashad Evans. That being said, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting moving forward now to see what kind of matchups we get. Uh, um, a, a fight that I think could potentially make sense is finally maybe having that that Shogun fight or whoever ends up being the loser of the Shogun um, Pat Cummins um, fight. I believe he's he's fighting Pat Cummins at 198. So um, I think the the loser of that fight potentially makes sense for for Rashad. Yeah, it's always Evans a, moving forward. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, it, it's I always think tough that, because I think we have this immediate and and I saw Robin Black and and Josh Gross sort of talking about this a little bit yesterday. Robin taking the hey, everybody stop telling Fighter X to retire with your knee-jerk reactions. And I don't think it's so much that that we're trying to tell these guys to retire, but we do have that immediate reaction of seeing someone that we're so used to having success and so used to seeing 
compete at the highest level sort of struggle and, and look really bad in a fight that our immediate reaction, when we've already been talking about maybe they're on the decline and this fight is going to help us know a little bit about where they stand to then see them get finished in that way. We sort of have that, well, what else is there for them? I do think Rashad Evans can come back and sort of enter into some of that Dan Henderson kind of space where he's fighting just other fading names and, and you add it to Fox cards like this and you add it to sort of the third spot of a pay-per-view or it headlines an overseas show or something of that nature. The part that's going to be interesting for me, because light heavyweight doesn't have a lot of those guys. There's sort of the upper tier and then everybody else. And so I don't know if fights against Jimmy Manua or Elir Latifi or guys of that nature are going to be appealing to a prideful Rashad Evans at 36 years old who is used to being the main event or the co-main event and one of the biggest stars in the sport to suddenly say, you know what, this is where I'm at in my career. These are the fights I have to take. So that, to me, is going to be the interesting part. Yeah, you... I think, I mean, yeah. And, and remaining, you know, like, he's he's been competitive and fighting very, very high-level guys recently. I mean, you know, Clover's a guy who, who's in that upper tier. Ryan Bader's a guy who's in that sort of upper tier. So uh, to go, you know, from that... To fighting guys, you know, all due respect to guys like a Jimmy Manuel and an Elir Latifi, but that is a big, you know, kind of kind of drop for someone who's a former light heavyweight champion. This is, you know, Rashad Evans. Really, at the end of the day, he has nothing left to prove. He has his belt. He's made a legacy in the sport, cemented himself as one of the most popular guys in the sport. So, I think that if he decided to call it quits tomorrow, nobody would, you know, argue that and say, well, you know. He should have gone for it, uh, another fight with John Jones or Daniel Cormier or whatever. Nobody's going to be upset at that at the end of the day. But I do think that Rashad, like you said, he's a very prideful guy. He's going to want to take, I think, a couple more fights before he uh, before he etches out his uh, um, UFC career. Yeah, I think those big fights are off the table for right now. But but definitely going to be interesting to see where a former champion and a, and sort of a fading star goes from here. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite and Patrick Schiffick-Linsky talking about UFC on Fox 19 in Tampa, Florida from Saturday. Transitioning from the main event to established guys to the co-main event, a fighter very much on the rise. Rose Namajunas goes out, avenges her Invicta loss to Tisha Torres with a unanimous decision win in a close fight, a competitive fight, a really entertaining fight. Um, I'm glad this fight lived up to what we expected it to be. We talked about it on Friday being a fight that probably should have been the co-main event all along in terms of what it meant in the rankings. Um, First and foremost, just impressions on on Thug Rose. Uh, Good win, clearly making gains, but does it feel like she's not quite at that point yet for you where where you want to see the next fight be her versus the winner of the impending Joanna Janjacek, Claudia Gadella fight, because that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the words of Georges St. Pierre, uh, I'm not impressed by your performance. Um, <laughs> I it's mean, not even the, it's not even the, a lack of impressed because I think that was a great <laughs> performance. I just think we need to be honest about the fact that Joanna Janjacek and Claudia Gadella, for that matter, are on a different level than everyone else in this division right now, and so. Kind of like Demetrius Johnson. 
against Kyoji Haraguchi and some of the guys he's faced. If you sacrifice these dudes early, it sullies their name going forward. And with Rose having already lost in a title fight, do we really need that right now when she's clearly making progress? Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> like I was saying, I mean, I, I laughed a little bit about not being impressed by her performance, but to the point, it actually didn't impress me enough for her to merit a, a title you. shot against one of those, um, one of those girls, Mignon or Claudia. You know, she skill wise, all the tools are there, and and hats off to Tisha Torres because you know it, um, she was a very tough opponent for um, for Rose and gave her a lot of problems. Um, some nice combinations that she was throwing. It was a very close fight. But I think we what we saw was a Rose that is sort of still coming into her own and still trying to, you know, um, kind of get her head right in those situations. The skill is there, I think, but sometimes she's uh, a little hesitant to pull the trigger in certain situations where maybe she, she could have. I think, I think it would be in her best interest to maybe get another fight, one or two fights before getting that title shot. If you throw her to Claudia or Joanna right now, I think she gets mauled. Um, and that would mean two losses for her in a title shot situation in the UFC, uh, one to Carlos Barza and then one to either Claudia or Joanna. And I think that's a really bad spot for a 23-year-old fighter with so much upside as Rose Namajunas to be in. So it, it's one of those situations where I think the UFC needs to take a step back. They need to breathe. They need to be like, okay, she had a really great performance against Tisha. Well, let's not throw her to the friggin' wolves right away. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it, it's one of those things. And I want to first just say I thought this was the best Tisha Torres has looked in her UFC career to date. I think she got back to throwing a lot of combinations. There were points where she clipped Rose with good shots and had her wobbled. I think going back, you could probably make a case for Tisha winning that fight or... I wouldn't have been upset if a judge had scored that fight for Tisha Torres. I think I did, actually, in watching it the first time, but haven't gone back and re-watched it. But it was a close fight. It was a good good performance for the American Top Team product. I think she still has a bright future in the division. Um, I do think this showed sort of a little bit of the separation that Rose is able to have and and will have over a lot of these competitors in the future because of that natural athleticism and just sort of a different level of ability and, and potential almost. Um, one of the things you said in there though, about, you know, a 23 year old that maybe has two losses in championship fights. Rose talked about it after the fight that she's her harshest critic. She gets down on herself during camp to the point that she thinks about quitting, that she thinks about walking away. I saw some quotes where she said, I need to make fighting fun again. That is a little bit concerning for me, and that's the other part of why I would love to see her take a little bit of time, find another couple of fights. I don't know who they are. I, I haven't sat down and sort of put on my Joe Silva hat or Sean Shelby hat, as it were, for the, for the women's strawweight division to figure out sort of who would be next. But I would like to see her get through a camp and get through a fight where she doesn't hit this screw it, I want to just walk away point. I want to mm. see her at her full potential, smiling, bubbly, that we know she can be, enjoying what she's doing and going out there and wrecking shop versus coming away where she's just, I understand that fighting is absolutely an emotional experience and you're going to have that release afterwards no matter what, but it's a little bit concerning to me that 
that every fight, every camp, there are those moments where she is just almost at her breaking point. So I would love to see if she could just take four to six months, hang out at Grudge, keep getting some work in, maybe get another fight in there against somebody obviously in the top 10 that she can continue to build because I don't think she necessarily needs to go out there and get crushed by Joanna Janjacek or Claudia Gadella. And I think that's how that fight would go. I think Joanna is a is a much better striker at this point. Throws those crazy combinations and and strings of of attacks that I don't think Rose can do yet. I think she might be able to do it in the future, but she's not there yet. So I would I would really like to see the UFC sort of preserve this good thing that they are clearly building and clearly developing rather than just run her back out there and as you said shatter her confidence for the next couple of years yeah and i mean with with rose like as as i think we were saying before and in last week's podcast i mean the knock on her has never been the skill has never been sort of what she brings to the octagon it's always been sort of her mentality she she has these t- tough and difficult times that she goes through in camp, it seems, and she doubts herself sometimes. And seeing her mentality compared to someone like a Joanna, who's out there and just absolutely <laughs> relishing and loving the everything. most confident human being walking the <laughs> absolutely. face of the earth. Absolutely. You know, you just see that discrepancy there. I think that, you know, obviously they're different personality-wise, but that's a completely separate thing. As a champion – you have a certain kind of swagger, even if you're a humble champion, even if you're, you know, a nice kind of more uh, right. toned down champion, you still have that swagger that, okay, anyone comes to me, I can beat them. I don't know if Rose is there yet. And that's, I mean, I agree with you. I'm a little bit concerned about that. I'd love to see her fight someone like a Jessica Penne or a Valerie Letourneau moving forward. Uh, one of the opponents that Joanna's already faced, see how she does against one of those uh, chicks who are really, really tough. And um, get, give her that fight, keep her active, and and see how she does in that situation. If she can do um, a fight between, you know, if she can get a win over Penne or Letourneau in, in convincing fashion, that's another boost of confidence. So I think she just has to keep taking these smaller steps, moving forward and, and in a positive route, just continue building her confidence. I think that's the biggest thing with Rose Namajunas. It's not really about okay well she needs to learn her ground game better or she needs to get better at this yeah okay you got to tighten up things that that happens all the time but it's i think mostly mental with this fighter yeah and it's 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 i love the point you made about sort of that championship swagger demetrius johnson is a humble dude he does not like patting himself on the back but even dj has that swagger about him when he walks into the room um, because he is the champion, because he has beaten everybody in that division, and he has cemented himself as one of the best fighters in the world. I don't know. I agree with you. I don't know that Rose necessarily has that understanding yet of, I'm already one of the five best 115-pound fighters in the world out of the women. I need to now just take this to the next level. So I agree with you. Take some time. I like the idea. I know Jessica Penne just got booked for the UFC 199 show. Um, I think if if Juliana Lima beats Claudia Claudia or sorry Carla Esparza this weekend, that's a possibility. Carolina Kowalkiewicz is out there. Um, I know I didn't pronounce the Polish name properly. You can correct me some other time. But I think there are other options, and I would like to see one, maybe two more fights. But you never know. Um, 
shifting gears from somebody who maybe doesn't have the confidence that you need to be champion and, and really rise to that level to somebody that has it in spades, has an overabundance of it in a beautiful, wonderful, welcome back kind of way. Habib Nurmagomedov returns after a two-year hiatus. Um, it isn't the quick and dominant fight that we expect against Daryl Horcher. There were some moments early where Horcher was pumping the jab and, and landing some clean shots on Habib. But when he got into his wrestling and clinch game, you saw why everybody just kind of sits back and goes, this is the dude that needs to be fighting for the title. May already have been champion if he was healthy because he scoops him up and slams him in the center of the cage the way I manhandle 50 kilo bags of my dog's dog food. Uh, it's amazing. You just sit there and go, oh yeah, that's what Habib does. Um, what was the biggest takeaway for you though, first and foremost from this performance? Is it this sort of general lack of rust that he's able to come back after two years and just ragdoll another human being? Is it the smooth, silky transitions in the clinch game? Is it just getting on the mic and being like, Tony Ferguson, I'm not worried about you. Mm -hmm. RDA, you and me got some business to handle. Let's do this. What was it for you outside of just being happy to see Habib Nurmagomedov back in the cage? I think it was honestly a bit of everything that you just said. <laughs> I mean, I mean, all all aspects of that performance were impressive. Uh, get, you know, Daryl Horcher, you got to give him credit. He came in there short notice uh, fighting an absolute monster. He made it out of a round and he actually had some decent moments, like you said, with the jab early on. Big, so, you big know, shouts to Daryl Horcher. Definitely. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure there's light heavyweights out there that'd be afraid <laughs> of Habib Norman to get off. I mean. He looked like he was going to pick up Horcher at one point and throw him outside of the friggin' <laughs> octagon. Um, he's just scary, scary strong. And once he got his sort of um, grappling game going and, and started manhandling him like the way he did, that just showed you like, oh, man, this is the guy. This is the guy who needs to be fighting RDA like immediately. So it, it was a great performance overall. I like that he, you know, um, got on the mic and, and did say, you know, uh, he's not worried about Tony Ferguson. He's going for for RDA. I, I liked every aspect of the performance. It, it was almost even more impressive to me if he'd have gone out there 40 seconds right. and knocked him out clean in the middle of the octagon. It, just seeing, you know, I, I think it just reminded us of what he can do, you know, and, and that sort of clinch work and that grappling work that we're used to seeing from Habib. Uh, is what he's been, you know, known for, and what we would like to see from him. I think moving forward, and to for him to come back two years—that's a that's a long time, a lot of rust. There's that he didn't look like, yeah. There's there's like that little bit of like you just enjoy seeing him in the cage, and you're like, don't take this away from me this quickly. I want to see yeah. you continue to manhandle another human being, and then jump on the mic and be like, listen, Joe Rogan there weren't a lot of people stepping up that wanted to take this fight. Like Tony Ferguson is chirping at me that he wants to fight on May 29th, but you know, I got bigger fish to fry. I want that title shot. So if you're the UFC and you, so we know that Rafael Dos Anjos and Eddie Alvarez have been booked to fight uh, July 7th in Las Vegas on a Thursday night on fight pass. We will talk about that in a minute. If you're the UFC now with that booked, do you run back the potential Habib Nurmagomedov-Tony Ferguson fight, 
maybe on that May 29th card that Tony Ferguson, for whatever reason, is just fixated on getting this <laughs> fight on? Or do you say, you know what, your time has passed, Tony Ferguson, we're going to put you in with somebody else. Mike Chiesa called him out. Um, he had a great performance. We'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that momentarily. Do you just skip over Tony Ferguson now and, and hold Habib out for the winner of Dos Anjos Alvarez? Or do you get him that one more fight against somebody that's more established in the division? To me, I think uh, it would still be great to see Habib compete against Tony Ferguson. Um, just because, you know, he he had, this was sort of the fight to prove that, okay, we seen the guy in action. He doesn't have any friggin' injuries. And if he does, then that is scary. So right. um, I think that that performance just showed us, listen, Habib's back. Now let's see how he does against a really elite guy. Um, I think that a Tony Ferguson fight makes sense just because of the Alvarez RDA booking. It, um, it's, it's a fight that I still very much want to see. I think a lot of people still very much would like to see Tony Ferguson still right up there. It'll keep Habib active. And I think that's a good thing for where, you know, for coming off of two years of inactivity, I think what he wants, you know, what he would like to do is probably kind of get in there and, and stay active and keep sort of his forward progress and a fight with Tony Ferguson. If he wanted even half as impressive as he did <laughs> against Horcher, um, that, you know, that does it. I mean, he's, he's right there for that title shot after RDA and Alvarez. So um, I would like to see him fight Tony. I don't know if May uh, late May is, is possible for Habib um, in terms of getting back. I'm not sure. I mean, it didn't look like he suffered any sort of injuries. He should be healthy. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I think it, it, you know, if they, if he's down for it and if Tony's down for it, I would love to see that fight in late May. It, um, I think it just makes sense to have him active, have him back in the mix again. And like I said, if you didn't believe in his talents after that Horcher fight, which, okay, you're probably crazy, but, (laughs) you know, if you didn't believe in his talents, you saw him against a Tony Ferguson doing something along those similar lines, then, you know, listen, you give that guy the title shot and you call it a day. Yeah, the fan in me absolutely would love to see that fight, would love to see sort of something else from Habib in the next several months rather than him wait out the winner of this impending lightweight title fight because it seems that whenever he's waiting and training that's when these injuries seem to take place the tricky part with it obviously his management is going to be pushing for we're holding out we want the next title fight he talked about it after the fight november in new york another guy lobbying already for november in new york or december I think there are options for Tony Ferguson, so it wouldn't surprise me if the UFC just says, you know what, Tony Ferguson, sorry dude, it's bad timing, it sucks for you, but this is the fight we need to make and keep this dude around because he does have that win. I think if Eddie Alvarez wins in July, then we may see Habib Nurmagomedov fight somebody else. Um, But if RDA wins and he maintains that belt, it's tough to have somebody at the top that is lost to the guy chasing him already and not make that fight. Like you can't keep those two dudes apart for that long. The same way if TJ Dillashaw was, was still champ at bantamweight and John Dodson goes out, puts on that performance that he put on on Saturday night, which to me was one of the, the best of the night. 
you can't really keep them apart because this dude already starched him. Now we need to see if this is going to happen again. So I do think we will see the UFC sort of wait and, and keep Habib as that option for the winner of the, the impending lightweight title fight, which we'll get to now real quickly. Just that fight obviously was booked. I think given the fact that Ramadan is coming up and Habib does not compete, does not do anything during that holy month for him, does this fight make sense? Is this the right call to go given what sort of is on the table for Habib coming up in the next few months and what Eddie Alvarez has done? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a tricky position, I think. Uh, obviously, as you said, with, with Ramadan and, and Habib being, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, very devout um, Muslim as well. So I, I think it, it works out in, in Alvarez's favor to have that fight sort of now. And, you know, he he's a guy who came into the UFC, lost his UFC debut against uh, Cowboy. Then he went on to win uh, against Gilbert Melendez and Anthony Pettis. But that fight with Cowboy, it was a, you know, he had a very impressive outing in the early goings of that fight before uh, Cowboy turned it on later in the fight. So I think El- Eddie Alvarez, he's right there. And I think that he, you know, he's a good opponent for RDA to sort of um, have because, you know, he's, He's one of those guys who will grind you down. He's one of those guys who's kind of, you know, an uglier fighter. He'll get you up against the cage. He'll really push you. So it'll be interesting to see how RDA does against a guy who fights kind of, you know, in some ways similar to him. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see Eddie Alvarez compete against RDA. Uh, we'll see what happens from there. But I think if, you know, the timing was right for, for Alvarez to get a title shot, I think now makes the most sense rather than, you know, to wait it out and maybe, you know, get him another uh, opponent. I think if you beat guys, you know, if you look at his, if you look at his record and, you know, and he's beat a guy like an Anthony Pettis and a Gilbert Melendez already, you know, and, and you didn't see the fights at all or anything. And you saw those names on his resume, you'd be like, okay, well he's beaten two of the very best lightweights. Right. So, you know, he, he, he's right up there. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm thoroughly convinced that he, you know, he can beat uh, RDA or anything like that, but I definitely think he's deserving of a title shot. Am I a horrible human being for thinking this is a perfect stay warm fight for Rafael Dos Anjos? <laughs> Just given, given the way that he has, that he destroyed Anthony Pettis to win the title, that he just straight murked Donald Cerrone last time out that Alvarez, as you said, is sort of a grinding dude that gets into these kind of ugly back and fight back and forth brawls. We've seen him get dropped in various fights back in his Bellator days. I just think this is a nightmare matchup for him and a perfect opportunity for Dos Anjos to go out, put up another big win and be like, all right, Habib, I'm standing right here and I got this belt. Let's get it. And I think it's, it's, it's a great fight for those reasons. It gives Eddie Alvarez the title fight, the title shot that he absolutely has earned, as you said, by, by beating Gilbert Melendez and Anthony Pettis. I think it, I think it works all around, except that it's on fight pass. And listen, I will be the first person I have been trumpeting the emergence and y'all are crazy if you don't have fight pass yet. For a while, um, Eric Winter has done phenomenal things since coming on board. We see the introduction of, you know, Fight Pass feature prelims that have been really well. 
received and, and done well for them. The last couple Fight Pass shows exclusively have done well. Um, I understand that sort of that July International Fight Week approach is Thursday is Fight Pass, Friday is FS1, and Saturday is, is the big show. But it just feels to me like this is a missed opportunity to go from being on, being involved in a fight on Fox with Donald Cerrone that did reasonable numbers. You know, it's it's out there for two and a half million people to see. To then booked into a program with Conor McGregor that was getting some good buzz. To then be put on Fight Pass sort of feels like a step back where you're limiting Rafael Dos Anjos' exposure. Do you think it's a good move? Do you think there just have to be points where the UFC says, you know what, we're going to really push and really give fans a reason to subscribe to this service? Or should they be making sure that they get this guy out there so that that future fight, the one that we're we're all interested in now with Habib Nurmagomedov, can be as big as possible? Well, I love the point they brought up. I mean, that that RDA was on that sort of... um, he was on that pay-per-view, supposed to be against Conor McGregor. This was just a couple months ago, and he was supposed to be a part of probably one of the biggest pay-per-views in UFC history, and that fell through, and now he's on Fight Pass? I mean, <laughs> I, I, like, I love Fight Pass, like you. I, I think it's a, it's a great thing. I subscribe to it, watch it religiously, but I, I, I agree with you. If you want to build a guy who's as talented as, you know, as tough as RDA, a great champion, probably one of the better lightweight champions we've seen in recent history. Um, it, it's kind of a head scratcher to have it on fight pass where um, it's pretty limited. I don't think as many people will see it um, coming off that Fox card. Like you said, still did decent numbers. It's a head scratcher to me. I mean, RDA, he's a very exciting fighter. Um, maybe not the most exciting talker or whatever, but when you see him in that right. octagon and you see what he does, it speaks for itself. And to have that limited to sort of just fight pass, which, uh, um, you know, it, it is a lot less eyes than a Fox or a lot less eyes, you know, than a pay-per-view. I think that kind of, you know, it's kind of tough to, tough to see RDA kind of go through something like that, where he now has to um, perform on fight pass just because Con- Conor McGregor's not attached to his name anymore. You know, coming off that, he could have been, you know, he could have been the Nate Diaz. Right. He could have, uh, he could have run through, you know, Conor McGregor. Who knows what would have happened. And now he's in this situation. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I would, I would love to see him, like you said, be a part of maybe, you know, uh, that Fox show that's going to be on that weekend. Or, you know, I mean. Or bump him to, bump him a week. I know they announced... I mean, you don't want to take Rafael Dos Anjos to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where they're going to be the week after for a debut show on FS1. But even if, I mean, UFC 201 is still out there. Like, that has to be a card. 202 has to be an event. We need main events for those. And so I understand that this is a opportunity to sort of spike subscriptions and sort of drive subscriptions by saying here's the lightweight champion this is a fight it's exclusively on this platform so if you want to see this fight you have to go out and get it the trouble is is that i don't think there's going to be eight hundred thousand people that just flock to fight pass for this fight 
The other part is, I'm pretty sure you can go and get your one month free subscription. So there's probably going to be a lot of people that are like, I'm a hold out and save, save up and wait on that one until July, mm-hmm. get my free subscription and then cancel after a month. That's not right. ideal. It's one of those pain in the ass things with subscription based models that you have to deal with. I think this is one of the places where fight pass sort of not quite being at that WWE network level of, of access and availability kind of still hurts it a little bit. I think this fight will do good numbers for the platform. I, I understand it from a fight pass perspective and a drive drive interest perspective, but I just don't know if taking him away from such a large potential audience at this point makes the most sense. But that's something that we will address with the UFC in the coming months. Uh, before we go here on the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio, just a quick trip through the rest of the card. Who impressed you? What stood out the most for you from UFC on Fox 19 in Tampa? Yeah, uh, yeah ironically, the uh, fight pass uh, <laughs> was, was actually the most... Um, Speaking you know, of fight pass... <laughs> exactly, nice segue. Um, yeah, the, the fight pass main event... Uh, between John Dodson and Manny Gamburian. Um, Dodson came in there and, I mean, laid waste to a, a very tough veteran in, in Manny Gamburian, made it look really easy, just, like, laid those hands out. I I mean, I, I didn't even see how fast those hands were going until the friggin' instant replay. I had to see how many shots he landed on Manny before, you know, um, before he went down. And it seemed like he landed like a hundred shots when I was watching it so fast, such an impressive performance. And I think having Dodson back at bantamweight in that 135 pound mix, after seeing him uh, compete against a guy who's physically a a bit bigger than him, you know, he didn't miss a, he didn't miss a beat. And uh, I'm very excited to see what he does moving forward. It was a fight that just showed me that his, his power that he had as a flyweight has translated well to the, to the bantamweight division. And um, it'll be interesting to see what he does longer term against, you know, guys who are a little more, more skilled than Manny Gamburian. I'll do respect to Manny, but um, against, for example, a TJ Dillashaw. <laughs> as we talked about. Uh, exactly. Yes. Uh, someone who he's already fought and already finished. Um, and already as, uh, chirping about again. Exactly. Yeah. It's already <laughs> starting. And, and he said that, you know, TJ Dillashaw, he's so friendly to his face. And then behind his back, he says, well, it was kind of a fluke that he got me um, there. So I, I think that a fight between Dodson and Dillashaw, especially where Dillashaw is at right now, I think he's without a fight. Um, let's 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 run it back. Let's see how that goes. I would love to see that fight uh, in 2016. That's a fight that I think makes sense for Dillashaw to sort of get you know, back in there. If he wants to get back in that title mix, obviously you have Faber Cruz three coming up. So you can't, you know, get Dillashaw that immediate, you know, rematch. Um, I think it's a fight that would make a lot of sense and would be a lot of fun for the fans. If we uh, saw Dillashaw and Dodson. And I think it just proved that, you know, this fight against Gamburian, it proved that I think Dodson can, you know, bang with those guys at 135, and that he, you know, he's a guy that, We'll be uh, finishing some dudes in this division, I think, moving forward. Yeah, very much a good addition back into the bantamweight 
bantamweight ranks, a guy that, as you said, carries over that power, carries over that speed. He's, he's maybe even more quick now because of just, you know, the, the size difference versus the flyweights and, and to the bantamweights where a lot more guys at 25 have that speed and maybe not can't, can't necessarily match his speed because John Dodson's one of the quickest dudes out there, but the 35s definitely can't match his speed. Uh, I think he absolutely fits. I love the rematch with Dillashaw. I think sort of as we were talking about with, with Dos Anjos and, and Habib, it's the fight you have to make given that TJ is currently without a fight lined up. Um, Rafael Asensao, we don't know when he is coming back and what's in store for him. It sort of is constantly this, I'm, I'm close, I'm close, I'm close, and then he never gets back. Um, so I definitely like that idea. I think you make that happen. It's too easy to not do it. So Sean Shelby, you're not listening to this, but I will tell you during the week, absolutely have to do it. Hope to get you guys some confirmation at some point while I'm in Las Vegas. For me, the big sort of outside of the three that we talked about, I mentioned him earlier, Michael Chiesa going out and submitting Benil Dariush. I know we both picked Dariush. I feel like this was the fight where I just kind of decided like, you know what, I'm done doubting Michael Chiesa. This is a dude that, doesn't look the part of a top five lightweight, but just always manages to find a way. I mean, he was getting pieced up a little bit in the first. You kind of thought if this goes to the ground, Dariush has the edge as a former world champion in jiu-jitsu. Kiesa's great, but Dariush just feels like he would maybe be a little bit better. Then they get in that first scramble in the second round, and Kiesa just jumps on his back and squeezes out a submission. Extra impressive part of this is he told MMA Fighting's area Hawani after the fact, had to poop the whole time. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been walking around where you're just like, man, I really got to go, but you can't focus on a lot other than not pooping. And for, him to yeah. go, and for him to go out there, hold it in through the first five minutes, which he talked about in the interview, I definitely think you should watch it because it clearly makes Ariel a little bit uncomfortable. But just in that, like, I don't want to say you had to shit your pants in this interview because I'm more professional than Spencer on his podcast, but it's really great. And so he said, you know, I, I sat down on the stool. I felt better. I was relaxed. And you see in the second round, I go out there and I get the finish in, in 80 seconds. This was a great performance for me. And if the UFC isn't going to do Tony Ferguson and Habib in quick fashion, Michael Chiesa absolutely should be the guy that fights Tony Ferguson next. I know that he said he's got a bunch of stuff planned for the summer that he's got to deal with. Sister's wedding, some outside the cage stuff. But if you can run that back, if Tony Ferguson really wants that May 29th date, I would just drop a little line to Mike Chiesa and be like, hey dude, can you get this in before your summer starts? Because that might be a way to do it. Get two good wins in two months to cement yourself. He said going into this year, this is where I hit the top five. You beat Tony Ferguson. You've reached that goal before the second half of the year starts. Wouldn't be a bad idea to me. Thought he looked phenomenal. Done doubting him. Big shouts to Mike Chiesa. Thank you for not pooping yourself on national television. <laughs> I mean, you know, Vancouver fans know a little bit about, you know, um, their players kind of going for, for a poop. Thank you, Roberto Luongo in the, in the playoffs. He had to go so. We're we're familiar with that, so it's a tough thing. Um, I mean, Michael Chiesa, absolutely uh, brilliant performance. I thought against a, a guy like Benil Dariush, who is 
absolutely, you know, a beast on the ground. Uh, he came out and choked him out. That was very, very impressive. And I think that fight with Tony Ferguson, hey, that makes sense to me. If if you're not going to do Ferguson-Habib, um, then I think this is a fight that gets Michael Chiesa, you know, right in that mix against, you know, a top five guy. Um, obviously a big step up in competition, I think, just because of the weapons that Tony Ferguson brings. He's, you know, a very, you know, uh, elusive striker and very crafty on the ground. I think he has all of those gifts that Chiesa has on the ground, but he also has the striking to back it up as well. So it'll be an interest. It would be an interesting fight if that were to get put together. But I think it's one that if, like you said, if Ferguson has his heart set on that date in late May and Habib is, you know, not, not interested in that or not ready to go for some reason, why not do Chiesa Ferguson I think it makes sense. I think it's a fight between two guys, you know, kind of taller guys in that division, kind of rangy dudes, and with a lot of crazy techniques both those guys have, you know, A couple on the ground. former tough winners. It, yeah, It's exactly. a perfect fight to sort of see if Kiesa really has that top, the top five goods. I mean, I think this fight puts him in the top ten. Um, but as we've seen in most divisions, that next tier is just a little bit different. If he's got it, great. If Ferguson goes out and gets another win, then he can just stand there and be like, look, I keep winning. Give me these bigger names. Give me the winner of Anthony Pettis and Edson Barbosa, which goes down crazy violence this weekend. It just feels like it works on far too many levels yeah. to do just about anything else. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it, it's one of those fights that I think will will tell us a lot about, you know, what we can expect from Kiesa moving uh, moving forward. And for Ferguson, it'd be a good fight to sort of keep in the mix if Habib, in fact, you know, decides to wait for RDA and Alvarez to play out. We know that probably he would be able to get that fight uh, down the line. So Ferguson might be uh, without an opponent for a while, and I don't think that's a position that El Kukui probably wants to be in. He wants to remain active. Let's do Kiesa Ferguson. For us moving forward, I will be leaving on a jet plane tomorrow about this time. I will be in the air on my way to Calgary to connect to Las Vegas for UFC 197. Uh, we will be all over Keyboard Kimura this week with your standard fight week stuff, some extra interviews. Uh, had a great conversation with Andre Feely, who kicks off the main card against Yair Rodriguez. Talked to Canadian Chris Kalaitis, who has sort of become a transplanted Florida, so we had a little laugh about you know, Coconut Creek versus Coal mm -hmm. Harbor, Nova Scotia. All of that stuff will be up, plus notebooks from down on the ground in Las Vegas throughout the week from Keyboard Kimura HQ in Las Vegas, the Hooters Hotel. Um, follow Patty on Instagram at Pat Schwicklinski, C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Follow me at Spencer Kite. Follow at Keyboard Kimura. Thank you for listening. There will be tons of updates all week. I hope to get another show put together while I'm gone and get that up for you on Friday. But for now, thank you for listening. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura. Kimura.